This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, New York. It is really, really great to see everyone tonight. Thank you so much. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. We are taping the show live. So, Jody Picot and Jennifer Finney Boylan, Dr. Jennifer Finney Boylan, because I am going to say that. I don't think either of you need that much of an introduction, but I'm going to say lots of nice things because I'm very excited to see both of you. <laughs> Between these two women, we have 45 books. <laughs> is this 46 or is this 45? I wasn't totally clear going through. You're making us do the math? I, yeah. I don't do math. Okay, know. sorry. So... 45 books between the two of them, with also children and spouses and careers and all of these great things. Hale Prize from the New Hampshire Public Library, on top of everything else. Last 13 books of Jody's have been number one New York Times bestsellers out of the gate. Jenny is the Anna Quinlan Professor of Writing up at Barnard College, and is currently, excuse me, a Radcliffe Fellow. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to share a stage with her, but okay, fine. Delighted to share a stage with these two women because Mad Honey, how many of you have read Mad Honey yet? Okay. Oh, great. Wow. To be clear, we are going spoiler-free, so all of you people who have not yet read Mad Honey, do not fear. I am not that person. I'm not that, because I actually have so many questions. I have your questions. I have my own questions. That said, Jody, you want to tell us what Mad Honey's about? Yes. So Mad Honey is the story of Olivia McAfee. Years ago, she was in an abusive marriage and she took her son, Asher, and they left and she started over. When the book opens, Olivia is now a beekeeper. Asher is 18 and he is head over heels in love with the new girl in school, Lily, who has just moved to town with her mom because they're kind of starting over too. And then one day, Olivia gets a phone call from Asher. Lily is dead and he's being questioned by the police. And Olivia wonders whether the past ever really stays in the past or if it just keeps coming back to haunt you. When I think about this book, it's a book about how we become the people that we're meant to be, whether we can ever reinvent ourselves, what identity is, what gender is, all of those things. And the reason I really wanted to write this with Jenny is because she and I have had very different lived experiences as women in this country. And I knew if we teamed up to write a book about mm -hmm. what it means to be a woman in America, mm -hmm. it would be something that had never been done before. So I'm quite lucky to have had her here by my side. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Readers, too, all benefiting. And now you guys understand why I'm super serious about keeping this spoiler free. Like, super serious, because there's so much that happens in this book. There is a very cute backstory to this book and the two of you oh, working yeah. together. So, and it starts right. with you in a dream, so it you have to tell the story. It starts with me in an apartment on 116th Street. No, Riverside, actually. Uh, it was five years ago. It was, in fact, May the 8th, 2017. I'm, I had this dream that I'm co-authoring a book with Jody Picot. Literally, that's the dream. And the, and the plot of the dream was essentially what Jody just told you. There were two voices in the dream. And there's, um, there's a young girl who's been murdered, and there's the, the mom who is the mom of her boyfriend who's being suspected of murder. And in the dream, I, I seemed it was something about how much can you trust the people you love? Can you trust your children? Um, can you trust the people you love? So I woke up from this dream, which was very specific, if you don't mind my saying. Because, I mean, normally I dream like I'm fighting Captain Crunch and a giant squid at the airport or something. And, I mean, I don't know what your dreams are like, but they're, they're not usually that sensible. Anyway, I got a cup of coffee, um, and I thought, well, that was weird. 
and I did my favorite thing, which is to go back to bed with a cup of coffee. And I got out my tablet, and I'm drinking coffee, and I'm kind of, you know, doing the morning thing of reading the paper and checking the mail. And I went on Twitter, God bless it, <laughs> and tweeted out, I just dreamed I was co-authoring a book with at Jody Picot, whom I had never met and did not know. At Jody Picot happened to be online at that very second and 30 <laughs> seconds. I mean, we followed each other on like author Twitter, which is really, is really thing. is a yeah. thing. Um, it's actually a really cool thing in a way because mm-hmm. you, you get to, to just see what everybody's up to. You get to pretend you know cool people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jody wrote me back. She DM'd me like 30 seconds later. What was this book about? And I told her what we just told you. Two voices. A murder, a mom. And she wrote back... LOL, let's do it. Quote, unquote. <laughs> LOL, let's do it. And I was like, really? <laughs> so we, I mean, we batted it back and forth a little bit. There was mm-hmm. probably, you know, a, a dozen exchanges about, well, what, what could it be? And what, what, what should some of the issues be? But that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. But, but I should also say, I was about to write the memoir, right. um, uh, Good Boy. Jody was about to start the book that became the book of two ways. So we were both busy for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but we agreed that in 2020 we would get to work. And, and you know, be... everything happened in 2020 the way it was supposed to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was going to be like late 2020. I think the plan was I was going to like move into your house, literally. Like for like we three were months. Like, yeah. Okay. We were going to um, organize it. So instead, in March of 2020, I wrote Jody and said something like, "I don't know about you, I've suddenly got a whole lot of free time." <laughs> yeah. And so we started it. And, okay. the, and here we are. As, and I mean, to me, that's so cool. As a result of, of a dream, Jody Pico, who I did not know, is now my collaborator, my friend, and, you know, here we are at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> so it's Trust Your Dreams. <laughs> Which brings me to the structure, because we're alternating voices between Olivia and Lily, so there's a yeah, mom. Olivia's the, Olivia's yeah, Olivia's the mom, Lily's the daughter. The dead, so, the dead but we're also playing with time in a way. So you're, you're, it's a little bit of three-dimensional chess is what you're doing. So you're alternating voices, but you're also not necessarily in the same moment in time. And you do some very clever stuff towards the end, which we are super not talking about. <laughs> but it's great. And if you're a writer, pay attention to what they're doing because it's really interesting the way the structure works. But I want to talk about how you settled on the structure how you figured out. I mean, also, this is a little longer than both of you usually write. Jody, you tend to come in under 400-ish? I'm usually around 400. All right. Yeah. But, and so we're yeah. four, 450, yeah. 450, I yeah. think. Okay. And Jenny, you've gone from super short to... Um, I'm more like 350. Like yeah, okay. <laughs> and I raise this only because you've written, Jody, you've written with your daughter. You've written two YA novels. Jenny, have you collaborated with anyone on a book? I, I, I wrote a screenplay with Richard Rousseau okay. 30 years, years ago. Years ago, right? Years okay. Ago. Never produced. Thank you, God. But more importantly, this is the first time both of you have really sat down yeah. with a novel. That's a entirely different. And not to say that YA novels, I'm not, I'm not saying mean things about YA novels. But this is a really different experience. You are trying to encompass 30 years in these people. You are covering a lot of ground. So how do we start? You start by, first of all, recognizing things about yourself as a writer that you never have to think about when you write alone. Okay. And honestly, I think that was probably the biggest growing experience. Mm -hmm. Start with, for example, the big thing that I learned is that I am a massive control freak. Massive. 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 Yeah. Like, I had to house the the story on my computer. 
And when Jenny sent mm -hmm. me a chapter, I would put it in and I would, you know, make sure it was in uh -huh. my computer. But that was the way I had to function. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that was interesting is there are two types of writers, right? There yeah. are at least there yeah. are plotters who organize everything yeah. and create outlines. And then there are pantsers who fly by the seat of their pants. <laughs> right. And as Jenny has pointed out yeah. in other interviews, you can't write a book that is a courtroom drama and a murder mystery and get to the end and say, I don't know who did it. I don't know. <laughs> Although that, so, for right. me, that would be very on brand, actually. Right. <laughs> so I convinced her to outline, which okay. was also really important because yeah. we had decided early on that we would, for the most part, split the chapters so that I wrote Olivia, the mom, and Jenny wrote Lily, the teenage girl, except we also wanted to take one chapter and write each other's mm -hmm. narrators. And we did that because we thought it was really good practice as writers to inhabit mm -hmm. the characters' minds, yep. but also because we wanted you guys to have to figure out which chapters we swapped. So good luck. Have fun. We started off there with Jenny agreeing to outline. And well, then we had, if we didn't have an outline, it, w it mean, wouldn't it, have worked. It, we couldn't have done it. Because but, we, okay. right. and, but it also was important because, like you said, Lily's chapters go in mm -hmm. reverse, which I'll let Jenny talk about. Well, a so the, so we start with Olivia, and the last the last line of a, of the opening chapter is a call from Asher. He's at the police station. Mom, I think Lily's dead. Right. Second chapter takes place the same day, and uh, it's Lily's last moments. The last thing that happens in that chapter is there's a knock on the door, and she thinks, hmm, whoever is knocking is not going away. So then we go back to Olivia, and 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 the the Olivia slash Jody chapters move forward through time, through the arrest and the trial and all, all of the legal drama, you're thinking, okay, well, I, I, I fell in love with this character, Lily. And I'll talk about Lily later because mm -hmm. I just, I hope everyone falls in love with her because mm -hmm. she is amazing. But she's gone at the end of chapter two. You're like, oh, okay, well, great. So the next time you get to Lily is chapter four and now it's one week before she dies. And then the next time you get to Lily, it's now two weeks before. All the way back, to, and so there's 10 chapters of Lily and the last Lily chapter is September 1st when she and her mom arrive in town to begin a new school year, her senior year at this new school in New Hampshire. However, each of those chapters also contains a flashback to a time before mm -hmm. that. Yep. So we, I, I, I worked the whole thing out on a giant story, storyboard. On Which one the, might call an outline. Yeah. Just, yeah. On, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I literally cut the whole thing up with scissors. Uh -huh. um, until until it was we finally had it and then we wanted where each of us leaves off to kind of dovetail to where the next mm -hmm. author took over but we also edited each other like I would send Jody one mm -hmm. of my chapters mm -hmm. she would edit it and vice versa see so we, everyone needs an editor if no, you're but, a writer you need an editor <laughs> but that was really important yeah. because when you're writing a book with two writers you mm -hmm. don't want it to sound like two writers you yeah, want the exactly. readers to mm -hmm. feel like it's one mm -hmm. voice and so the way to do that was for each of us to very heavily edit each other's chapters to the mm -hmm. point where it's very hard for me to remember what phrases I wrote and what phrases Jenny wrote. Right. I was reading the book last week or looking at it mm -hmm. that in that kind of new book, new baby, so kind of proud <laughs> moment. No, if you're an author, when your book comes out, there's just nothing like it. I mean, it's really, it's such a happy, happy moment. And I was reading, of course, my chapters, thinking, oh, this is so good, you know. <laughs> And, there was, I, and I was reading something and I was like, I don't really remember writing that. And it's just like, it shows how good the editing process was mm -hmm. until I remembered that was actually the chapter that, that, that Joe wrote. wrote. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to grab a question from Noelle Sullivan and ask you, how do you choose your characters' names? Do you ever name them for people in your lives? I never name characters for mm -hmm. people in my lives because that's so weird. 
You know, because then every time you type the name, you're thinking of the person, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I can pretty much guarantee there will never be a Tim in my books because that's right. my husband's name. Although I, I have had a Jacob, which he was an autistic kid mm -hmm. in House Rules. That's also the name of my middle son and his siblings have given him a lot of crap about that. Uh, but it's actually because it was like an auction and mm -hmm. someone right, won and right. it was their kid's name. Yeah. It was not my son, Jake. For Olivia, I don't know why I like the name Olivia. I just, it kind of came to me. You came up with the it. names, or like yeah. working names. You said, well, I was, I mean, yeah. when we first started doing it, you was like, well, how about if we have the mom is Olivia and, yeah, and the I daughter think, is, right. is, is Lily. Lily. And I wasn't sure about Lily at first, but then it stuck. And then I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of Yeah, and then you came up way. with the whole origin so, mm -hmm. story yeah. too for her name, which was great. It's, it's really, it, it just fit somehow. Okay. And then Jordana Gaines, who must be here somewhere because I'm looking at pink pen. There we go. Hi. Jordana wants to know, when writing a new novel, how do you come up with the detailed world in which the characters live in? For me, that's a really hard question to answer because I never feel like I'm making things up when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. I actually feel like I'm watching a movie and all right. of you are blind and, you know, deaf and you, you can't see or hear anything. So it's my job to communicate it to you. And it is really, really visual to me. Like, I, I just kind of close my eyes and I'm seeing it all play out and I'm listening to the characters talk and I just feel like I'm transcribing what they say. It's really weird. And it's why I say that writing is successful schizophrenia because I get paid for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're having a, a seance or something. And, yeah, and, exactly. And mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, I feel the, the story coming through me, you know. Um, and it's really like that. When I'm writing memoir, obviously, which is mostly what I do, there's no, there's mm -hmm, no challenge. Yeah. Generally, there's no challenge. Although I'll, sometimes, depending on how far back I go, I'll have to like look at an old diary or, 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 or ask someone about mm -hmm. a detail. The fiction that I've written, well, the most recent novel I wrote was, um, was Long Black Veil, right. in which um, a, a group of uh, college students goofing around get stuck inside the abandoned ruins of Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Eastern State and spent um, a couple days there, just doing research and taking taking movies on my on mm -hmm. my on my phone and uh, trying to get the ghost story part of it right. I think there is this bridge between our own experience and the world yeah. that we imagine. Right. And even if it's if, if we're if we're putting some characters in a situation that we don't know, we try to find something like it that, that seems to fit, that seems to rhyme with it in our own imagination. Yeah, and I mean, it's set in a place called um, North Adams, New Hampshire, mm -hmm. which is fictional, but looks a lot like a lot of towns near where right. I live, you know? So you, you can sort of imagine what mm -hmm. a town green would look like, and mm. you know, what a 4th of July festival would feel like, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I know for me as a reader, I bounce between reading for character first, or language first, or story first. It, it really depends. I mean, mostly it's usually language for me. But for you as readers, what's the thing you're looking for first? Well, the first thing I think you should look for as a writer is whether or not you've earned your storytelling. Okay. And that, I think, is any genre that you write, whether it's, honestly, whether it's screenwriting, whether it's theater, mm -hmm. or whether it's this. You can't get to the end and not have earned everything that you're right. trying to pull off in a novel. So to me, the logic and the structure of it has to add up. Mm -hmm. But as a reader... What stops me and makes me catch my breath is a really beautiful phrase. Right. That's where I just right. go. A beautiful what? A, a phrase. Like if, if oh, there's something truly yeah. beautiful, mm -hmm. then I just, I sort of stop and have mm -hmm. to take that in mm -hmm. for a second. I'll start with characters generally, and I have to hear their voices. Right. Um, as a musician, I think I have a very musical mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. of the world and of the way people talk. And so I, I need to get people talking uh, either, either to themselves or mm -hmm. to the reader or mm -hmm. to each other. 
Um, and that's that's what drives it for me is is the yeah. kind of the music of the, the sound the sound of the story. Mm-hmm. There are two ways of looking at voice, right? There's the narr- the overall narrative voice, right? And then there's individual character voice. And I find that when I trust the writer, I'm just like, yeah, you can go anywhere, I'll follow you. I mean, yeah. so when I, and that's the reason I pulled out character when I just asked you, because I think there are so many folks who, when they come up against a character that they may not quite know what to do with, they sort of, you know, it's that little bit of cat into water kind of situation, and they pull back. I actually can't even tell you the last time I had that response reading a book and I mean I read a crazy amount like I really like I can't even Uh tell you how many books I read in a year I can't even tell you how many books I'm reading right now it's just (laughs) when you produce a lot of audio in a week you really don't know when did you know that you had your characters voices because they're very clear and you have a pretty big cast we're laughing because I really struggled yeah okay all right it was the only time I thought I was not going to be able to do it was as Jody said I, I I do I fly by the seat of my pants, but it's but, which is not to say I, I write without a clue, but mm-hmm. it means that I, I, I figure things out on the page. So I do four and five drafts kind of of everything just to see whether it's a story. And with Lily, the first chapter, I must have written, I mean, you saw two or three. I must have yeah. written a dozen versions of this character. Um, my challenge was... So she's, she's a teenager, she's in her senior year in, in high school, and I just don't know anything about, like, teenagers or, or like, <laughs> the world right now. Because I'm, I'm really, my children are now in their late 20s, right. um, and I don't know anything about pop culture. I uh, can confirm this. No, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, this is how I just shield myself. I listen to Mozart and, like, The Grateful Dead, and that's, mm. I'm like... The good thing about being a deadhead, you never have to learn anything new. <laughs> you know. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I was really struggling. I was really struggling with, with, with Lily. And finally, I, just, I figured out a way of bringing her just, I kind of been, well, what would, what would you be like? Right. You know, because like, I would not be an influencer at age 17. If I were 17 <laughs> now, I would be, well, so Lily plays the cello. Right. And she's on the fencing team. She's like a giant nerd. Mm-hmm. But she's also, she has this wonderful thirst for the world, you know, which you're lucky if you have when you're, when you're a teenager. She wants to know everything. She's, I mean, she's a little precocious, but she's also just, just full of, like, the life force. She's just, um, she's a sponge. And she's just so much fun to be with. You, and you, you just kind of fall in love with her. She has the kind of joy that comes from having suffered and having mm-hmm. won that joy for herself after a great struggle, which I think is, in speaking as, a, as an older person, I, I, in my own life I can say it's, one of the, it's, the, great, it's the great joy right. of life, is, is the, the joy that you win for yourself. So I, I, I found my way into Lily essentially by trying to channeling some of, some of myself into her, which mm-hmm. is kind of the, you know, the most obvious answer in the world, but, but per, delivered at great length. <laughs> yeah, but that's the fun of hanging out with you. Mm. Because we get the full-on Jenny experience. But hey, so someone you did... here's a college professor. Yeah, well. well I think I'll talk it's more not me. once you hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It sounds like you answered her question, which is what was the hardest chapter piece perspective to write? But I'm gonna ask you now, Jody, what was the hardest piece for you? I would say that probably the hardest piece was keeping the secrets that I knew were coming. Yeah. That was really yeah. hard to pull off. You know, there are multiple reveals in the book, and so mm-hmm. to make sure that you're, you're parsing out the cards in the right way and just a tiny bit um, when you need to 
was really a challenge. Mm -hmm. And like when I got to what I would call the biggest twist in the book, I was like, oh, thank God. You know, like I, I finally, I was just like, I don't have to hide it anymore. Because that was really, really challenging. Right. I can see that. Yeah. I thought you were, I don't want to tell you where Please you, tell me where where you struggled, struggled. But, yes. but the, the chapter the chapter of mine that you wrote um, also yeah. um, is a chapter which there's a real, it's kind of the magician's thing where they're like making you look over here so they can kind of palm yes. the, the coin over oh, here. Oh, right. So, I you're, so Jody did this very clever thing in one of the Lily chapters where she's making you look over here mm -hmm. and all of the facts are actually right here and you and yeah. it's like a what was it's that a movie? Of the Six the Six Sense. You know that movie yeah, where yeah. yeah. So after Look you, at you with the pop culture if, reference. <laughs> if you wait, that was a movie from like twenty years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Jenny, huh? it, it it's okay. okay. Yeah. Twenty it counts. <laughs> No, but that's um, exactly what I'm saying, though, because mm -hmm. there were so many things that we had to get right. Right. And so that really was a sleight of hand, and that was very intentional. Okay. I had to make you believe one thing while mm -hmm. making sure that when you I went back I was so glad that was it. your chapter. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> <laughs> that was really hard. But writing Olivia was actually really pretty easy. Mm -hmm. She's a mom. I'm a mom. And she's at that really interesting age where her kids are not just her kids anymore. Yeah, Ash, she's yeah, not yeah. just her son, but he is becoming someone who has secrets and mm -hmm. things that she doesn't know. And for any parent, that is the weirdest time, mm -hmm. you know, when you realize that you don't know every nook and cranny of your own kid like you yeah. used to. Well, plus the beekeeping. Beekeeping. Uh -huh. That was the best. Okay, let's talk about the research that went yeah, into beekeeping. This is my favorite part. Okay. I know. <laughs> yeah. so, um, this is cool. It, it is worth saying that when we wrote this, it was... 2020. Mm -hmm. I have asthma. I did not leave my house for 15 months because I was terrified mm -hmm. and, until I got a vaccine, except for one day on Saturday and Sunday when I would go and apprentice with a master beekeeper in a field in Vermont from six feet away with a mask on under my beekeeping helmet. It was amazing. I knew nothing about bees, but Olivia is a beekeeper. Now, you probably all know that girls run the bee world, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's a queen bee. Well, if they're not the only ones, the queens, that work in the hive. Any bee that actually does any work is a female bee. Mm -hmm. So worker bees, forager bees, nurse bees, those are all female bees. There are male bees in a hive. They're called drones. They do absolutely nothing. <laughs> they sit in the hive and they eat honey and they deplete stores doing nothing. Right. One day, for one day in their sorry little lives, the day that the queen bee takes her maiden mm -hmm. flight, they're like, bro, it's time. And they all race bro, out of the hive. They say bro? They say bro. Okay. And they race <laughs> out of the hive. And they see who can fly the farthest and the fastest. And about seven or eight of them get a chance to mate with the queen bee. And this is the cool part, because when the drone ejaculates in the queen, you can audibly hear the sound of his genitals snapping off as he falls to his death. He is immediately replaced by another male bee, and this goes on, this little orgy in the air, for a few minutes. And when the queen comes home, she has enough fertilized eggs in her for her entire lifetime, which is really important, because her only job is to make more bees. She lays hundreds, thousands of eggs every week. Mm -hmm. And when the queen is doing that, she is, she is running the hive, and she's doing mm -hmm. a great job. But there are times when the queen gets a little old or sick, and she's not doing her job anymore. And at that point, the nurse bees are like, it's time. we got to do something. Mm -hmm. So a nurse bee will take a larva that came from an egg, usually on the edge of a comb, and they will feed it only royal jelly. An egg that is fertilized would have been a female bee. An egg that is unfertilized becomes a drone. So they will take, for example, a fertilized egg 
And instead of it becoming a nurse bee or a forager bee or a worker bee, any kind of worker bee, they will become, if they're fed only royal jelly, it will become a queen bee. And the hope is that that new queen hatches, kills the old queen and takes over the hive and everything runs smoothly. Mm -hmm. But fun fact, if you feed an unfertilized egg, which would have been a male drone bee, if you feed an unfertilized egg only royal jelly, it too will become a queen bee. Which is what happened to me. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. We've hit craft. We've hit the research. Pia, though, is wondering about revision and how oh, revision favorite, worked for the two of you. This is Jenny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this, I mean, this goes along with doing lots of drafts and figuring things out on, on the page is, it, it, for me, is how you see what they are. Actually, at Barnard, I teach a class called Revision and Imagination in which first assignment is write a seven-page story. Not six, not eight, and we... We come in and we workshop that story. The next assignment is take that seven-page story and turn it into a 21-page story. And then we come in and then we workshop that. And the next assignment, take the 21-page story and turn it into a three-page story. Mm. And then Mm -hmm. we we, we workshop that one. And the last assignment is a fourth draft with the length unspecified. So that kind of gives you, and it can really be one page or 50, and that gives you a sense of what what you're writing, what it wants to be. And you get to figure out what, what works. And if you don't mind my saying, this is not just something that works on the page, but something that works in your life as well, because I would heartily recommend the value of a do-over and a second chance, because, I mean, you're, you're, it's never too late to become yourself, as I can tell you from personal experience. That, mm-hmm. that, I mean, and who's to say when you reach the final draft of, your, of the self ever? I mean, I don't even know... When would that be? Every day, we, we try to remake ourselves. And transgender people, like me, maybe the way we re, re, revise and remake ourselves seems more dramatic than what other people go through, but, but maybe not, really. I mean, I can tell you the biggest difference between the before and after in my life, it's not going from male to female. It's going from someone who had a secret to someone who didn't have a secret. And I think the whole journey of life is to take the thing that is inside you that is hidden and find the courage to make it visible and so you get another draft of yourself and with any luck you you get to be the person that you're meant to be and that i think is true mm-hmm. of many characters in yeah this absolutely so absolutely. you look at someone like olivia who mm-hmm. was in an abusive marriage and now wants that to not define her right you know, and of course, all the memories come rushing back when her own son is mm-hmm. accused of something violent. But that question of, of are we the people that we were in the past and are we the people that we're going to be in the future is something that is really sort of endemic to Mad Honey. Mm-hmm. If you could spend a day with an, uh, another popular author, who would you choose? And someone did not sign this, and I'm asking it anyway. Thank you. Oh. That's okay. We're oh, asking the I question. I thought it was going to be anyway. Celeste Ng, who's like in the audience. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Celeste. No. Well, actually, it's funny because I because I know I know a lot of authors. You do. Um, <laughs> uh, of the authors that I don't know, George Saunders, I think. You know, when you love someone on the page, it's not the same as loving them in person. And, uh, and a lot yeah. of two would get on like a house on fire. Yeah, he's a no, really. No, you nice really man. would get on like a house on fire. Okay. All right. So that's I'm picking him. Okay. I'm picking George. I'm I just love his work. Yeah, I just, yeah. It's just, every, everything he writes amazes me. Uh, I, I think Lincoln and the Bardo is one of the um, most remarkable books mm-hmm. I've ever read in my life. 
and the book he wrote about about writing using um, short stories of Russian writers, mm-hmm. including Chekhov and Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I so would, George um, Saunders for you. Who for you, Jody? So, for my own selfish purposes, I would actually want to hang out with right now Maggie O'Farrell, but I'd want to be doing it in her office, and I'd want to look mm-hmm. through all her Hamnet research, just because yes. it would be very helpful for me right now oh. for what I'm working on. But okay. I would say if I'm going to hang out with someone, I'm yeah. going to pick Margaret Atwood because I've met her and she is a pistol. She, mm-hmm. she absolutely is yeah. a pistol. Laura Paris, who is a current English teacher and your former student, Laura's question is actually kind of groovy. What's your best advice for young aspiring writers who are looking for more ways to find inspiration? Can I answer this? Okay. I know she's your student, but I used to teach middle school English. <laughs> and one of the things that I think is a grave mistake is forcing kids in middle school to read things that we consider classics. Okay? So. Wow. I would say that let kids read whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they want to read. If it's baseball stats, fantastic. Mm -hmm. If it's the Guinness Book of World Records, okay. If it is comic books, fabulous. If it's Colleen Hoover, I guess go with it. But, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I think that what you need to do is get kids to love books and to love reading because that is how they begin to imagine themselves and what they can contribute as writers. That was the answer I was going to give. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I totally like I no, co-opted your I mean, kids. You can't yeah. you 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 really can't write until you've until you've read right mm. a lot and mm-hmm. what you ought to do is love reading. You mm-hmm. should love re- I hope you if you want to be a writer you should read you should, you should find... Read everything. You should be in just love. Read you should be in love with... Everything. With, with stories, yeah. Genre doesn't matter. Just right. read yeah. everything. I read a lot of V.C. Andrews as a 12-year-old. Yeah. And yeah. I am not the only one. Do not pretend I am the only one. <laughs> I know I am not the only one. I went to middle school with plenty of... Other, and yes, we passed around the same copy. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. Just read everything. I was reading Philip Roth at the same time. I was a very strange child, <laughs> which is why I'm a bookseller. <laughs> What's your favorite book you've written? And that's for both of you. It might be the, it might be Mad Honey, but Mad Honey was pretty fun. But it was mm-hmm. so, it was really so it was it's really such a once off. I mean, it's it's I can't imagine. I will we'll see if I dream about something else. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a call, Jenny. Um, there's a book I wrote in 2008 called "I'm Looking Through You," which is about growing yeah. up in a haunted house. Yep. And um, I love that uh, book. Uh, <laughs> it talks about um, growing up in that haunted house, mm-hmm. uh, but it also talks it uses haunting as this kind of metaphor for the way we occupy our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it was probably the darkest book I had to write because it's—I mm-hmm. mean—it's haunted and creepy in mm-hmm. both, in, because there are actual ghosts, but mm-hmm. also, but in in the way, the creepier part is. The, the memoir of people who I actually lost right. um, and the way they haunt me, lost, mm-hmm. lost in transition. It was a book that I just, at the end of the day, it was very hard to shake off. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and when I was done, I was really glad. But mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's Small Great Things. Yeah. yeah. So the fun thing about talking about Small Great Things mm-hmm. is that the reason I wrote it was because I thought there were a lot of, I wanted to write about racism, but more importantly, I really wanted to write about white privilege, because right. I thought there were a lot of white people in this country who just never considered the fact that the color of their skin gives them a lot of, of open doors and unearned advantages. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've never thought about it is exactly the definition of white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that book to provide the tools and the vocabulary for a discussion that a lot of people didn't know they needed to have. Right. 
Um, I learned a lot about myself that was not very flattering writing that book, and I had to learn how not just to say I'm not a racist, but I am an anti-racist. That mm -hmm. is an active thing, and you have to yeah. work at that every single day, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted that book to spark discussions, and the great news is it has, and it did, and it still does. Mm -hmm. Mad Honey is the book that reminds me the most of Small Great Absolutely. Things. Absolutely. Because when I wanted to attack all the issues that we talk about in this book, it was for the same reason. It was to give people who are cisgender mm -hmm. a way to have a discussion with a vocabulary they may not have. Right. It was a way just to get people to know what questions to ask and what questions not to ask. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've been on the road for like three weeks now, and the letters that are coming back are validating that from readers, which makes me really, really pleased. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about your favorite individual books of your own. But who are some of the writers who've made Jenny Boylan and Jody Picot the writers we know now? Well, Absolutely. this is going to be a very different... I wonder yeah. if there's anything... <laughs> if we have any other writers in comic... I was raised on, the, on like, metafiction and the most kind of exotic maximalist writers mm -hmm. of the 60s and 70s. Um, right. Uh, Borges, Italo Calvino... Um, uh, Vonnegut, all of the people whose whose work was just completely um, about inventing new, not only new worlds, but new new ways of telling story on telling stories on the page. And I think that the heirs to that mm. um, work are, are people like George Saunders and also um, Jennifer Egan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of like pretty weird weird stuff actually. The first writer I ever remember loving was E.B. White, though. Mm -hmm. I remember, like um, okay. uh, uh, Charlotte's Web was the first time I ever remember crying at a book. Mm -hmm. and, and it was such a mm. profound, such an amazing experience crying at a book when you're like eight or nine years old. Right. Um, and you're crying because something has happened which you, which you know is not real, but it was so real to you that you're weeping in this world. And uh, it's a, I've gone looking for that feeling every day since. Right. And I hope to create it on the page. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make people laugh. I don't want to make them cry. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in that order. Okay. Um, can I tell my Charlotte's Web story? Oh, yeah. please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was talking to my daughter, you know, the one who I allegedly taught how to write. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know, that would be like such a great, great thing to have on your tombstone, that right. line from Charlotte's Web. And she goes, oh, yeah. What is that line again? Good writer, better pig. And I was like, <laughs> why would I want that on my tombstone? Yeah. Anyway, um, just had to share that. Uh, the writers who uh, made me, <laughs> the, the, the books that I remember reading mm -hmm. when I first got out of college and wasn't being assigned stuff anymore, um, Alice Hoffman was the first person I discovered as a reader. Right. And I loved her writing, and, uh, and I still do. I remember being really taken... Uh, I remember reading a lot of Fitzgerald when I was in college because mm -hmm. I lived in his room at Princeton. Well, there you go. Fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, Just by um, accident, or did they get, give it to you? No, by accident. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, he didn't leave, like, anything stashed or anything. I looked. <laughs> but, uh, and I read a lot of Hemingway, because I was, I think he's a misogynist pig, but I'm really impressed by how he can say so much with so mm -hmm. little. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I, after I discovered Alice, then it was, like, the Ann Tylers and the Sue mm -hmm. Millers of the yep. world who could write about relationships in ways that were so rich and, and strong, but... 
by far the writer who has most influenced me is the teacher that I had at Princeton and right. my mentor, Mary Morris, who is right. astounding. So I have a little Mary Morris story. Oh, sure. Years ago when I was a baby bookseller in Chicago, I babysat her daughter during an event okay. because she was on the road with Kate. And Kate was little. I used to bring her chocolate milk because she was pregnant with Kate mm-hmm. and I would make her drink it and I could feel her kick. Clifford, <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog saved me because I'm not great with tiny people. They're kind of terrifying. And this is an author who's in my store doing a reading, and I'm just like, oh, your child is not going to make, okay, I'm going to the kids section with your kid, I'll bring her back. And I had a couple of booksellers come by and say, wait, did I just see Miwa in the children's section reading to a tiny person? (laughs) Hi. And I will tell you, I am actually that auntie who does the voice, like I'm the full body auntie reader, but at the time, it was not. Wow, I mean. Well, she turned out. She's fine. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I, the I, good I, I am. Yeah. I am the yeah. least of Kate and Mary's concerns, <laughs> but it's still. I saw Mary at a party a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, and I was just like, um, "Hi, can I tell you a story about your kid?" <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I hope this isn't weird, but it's gonna be. That leads me to a very long question from Rachel Dark Cohen, and I'm Rachel. Respectfully, I'm gonna shorten your question a tiny bit, okay? But I'm gonna hand the card over to Jody afterwards. What made you want to be writers? What made you love this thing more than anything? Because writing is not the easiest way to make a living, my friends. We know this. It's the easiest answer. I can't mm-hmm. not write. Okay, yeah. there you go. That's it. It never occurred to me to just really to do anything. I mean, I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to make a living doing it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, I remember, I remember telling, telling my parents that I was, this is what I was going to do with my college degree. Mm-hmm. And they were very much like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, uh, and I left my parents' house. And I moved to New York City, mm-hmm. and I worked in a bookstore, mm. and that's how. I, and and yeah. I guess that's that's how I started yeah. started this part of. Uh, but I mean, I was writing, you know, throughout college mm-hmm. and high school. I was always writing, and I think it's, it goes back to that Charlotte's Web thing. That yeah, you know, yeah. when I I had that that experience of of, of something taking me out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mysterious and transcendent mm-hmm. and glorious. And I've, I, I'm, I'm still searching for that every, every day, if mm-hmm. I can find a story that will do mm-hmm. that to me and just kind of mystify me and leave me a slightly different person than I was before. I don't think the shock is that, that I became a writer. The shock to me every mm-hmm. day is that anyone wants to read anything that I write. And I mean, there's still a part of me that is like, is it just my mom's friends buying the books? I don't think she has that many friends. No, you know? I, I, right. But, yeah, but there I mean, really is, I, I would write even if nobody read right, anything I wrote. Right. It's just a lot more gratifying when they yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you do the work. You read right. because you can't not read. I mean, how many of you out there were the kids that if you ran out of stuff to read, you were reading the cereal box or like, yeah, yeah. see? My people. Our people, yeah. I'm still doing that. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I'm still like that. Are you kidding me? Although, uh, this is where I'm going to make my little plea. If you're standing online, you can read a short story on your phone. You don't have to scroll through the terrible things. And I say this as a person who probably has spent more time on social media than I would like to admit, but um, you what's, can, in what fact... What site do you go to to read a story? Do you go to um, the I actually site? have... I just have books on my phone, and I just dip back in and out. I'm not using a site. It's just... I can't not have a book in my pocket. Mm. I will tell you, Liberation Day, the new George Saunders, phenomenal. I do want to bring up one tiny thing, though, before I ask the last question, because seriously, I knew this was going to happen. I knew we would just keep going and going and going and galloping across this. But Jenny, you are the first transgender American to have ever had a bestseller. She's not there. Um, Not all there is 
what, that was 2003, right? I mean, that was the first time yeah. you really, like, we knew who you were, and there was the Oprah thing and everything else. And everybody was, so, was generally very nice to me back then, mm -hmm. because they hadn't been taught to hate, no, no one had been taught that they were supposed to hate me back then. Right. It's like, it's really different now. So part of why I bring that up is, one, it's a very important book, and it's beautifully written. But also, Tony is wondering if you have advice for someone who's struggling, who is like you, and is in a place where things are tricky. I had a re an acronym at one point, TRUE, T-R-U-E. Let me see if I can remember. T is therapy. Yep. Talk, find someone to talk to. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a, a, a shrink, but, but, but someone with an, with an expertise in gender issues is, is a really good person to talk to. Right. If you can't do that, find a, find a friend, um, somebody you can trust. It doesn't have to be the person you're married to necessarily and maybe shouldn't be. Um, so talk. Find someone to talk to. I guess T is really talk. What's R? Read what you can. Mm -hmm. Try to find out what you can. You don't have to go through transition that, that second, that day. Have an outline. Jody, don't just do it by the seat of your pants. Look at how I've taught her. You <laughs> stands for you be you, which means mm -hmm. you don't have to live up to anybody else's version of what a man or a woman or a transgender person mm -hmm. is supposed to be. You don't have to be pretty or you don't have to be ha handsome if you're mm -hmm. going the other way. Figure out who you're going to be each day and be content with that because whatever it is, it's not all going to happen all at once. And E, E is is euphoria, mm -hmm. like be happy, seek, seek your bliss. And um, if, if you're feeling the pressure of that particular day, find something that makes you happy. If you're going through transition, having a plan and figuring out what you have to do day by day, month by month is I think really helpful mm -hmm. um, and will take some of the pressure off you. I, I, hope, that's, I hope that's good counsel, it's, it's kind of the best I've got. Okay, so I have one last question before I let you guys go off into whatever else needs to happen next because I would rather just keep hanging out with you. But this is the last stop on your U.S. tour. Canada and the U.K. is next. But what have you learned from your readers on this tour? I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of suffering out there. There's a lot of people who are carrying burdens um, mm -hmm. that, and, and some of the transgender people, some of their people are uh, uh, women who've been in abused it, mm -hmm. in, in abusive relationships. Some of them are just people who have a secret and they don't know how to tell other people. So the thing I've learned is that people are, are suffering. I, and I, I'm glad that books appear to be at least one thing that brings people release and freedom mm -hmm. and joy. So that's one thing I've learned. Mm -hmm. I was going to be glib and say, well, I've learned that COVID doesn't exist anymore, right? <laughs> Because we've been everywhere, and Jenny and I are pretty much the only people who ever wear masks anywhere. But we went uh, to Disneyland, we went 10, to Disney, Wor people. Disney World. Maybe yeah. we saw ten thousand people easily. Maybe ten thousand people, and yeah. it was Jody and me. Yeah, so that was scary. I think I'm going to echo Jenny and say that the world's a weird place right now. It's really mm -hmm. strange. People are pretending everything's back to normal. We're not back to normal. Nothing is normal yet, even if we want it to be. And I think that books continue to be this little tiny miracle, mm -hmm. you know? You know, I, I'm not the person who came up with this, but they are both mirrors for people who need to see themselves reflected, and they are windows for people who need to escape. Mm -hmm. And because of the way the world is right now, we need fiction that not only allows us to get away for a little while, but that very insidiously and intelligently educates us to be better people every day. Like I said earlier, read everything. Mic drop.
Read everything you can get your hands on. Read everything. Jennifer Finney Boylan, Jody Picot, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank all of you for coming. It was great to see you. We'll see you at the next one. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.